we're back. It's the Jim Burns Dave podcast, and we're back from the dead, or as it's known to most people, Christmas and the New Year, mm. which was okay for me. I sat around, I played some video games. I, yeah, I didn't get to watch Crank this year. Usually, my Christmas routine on Christmas Day is once I've uh, got rid of the family, not in the Jack Torrance sense, just in the you know they go out and see other family and have fun. And you don't go with them. No, I uh, I sit with the dog and we watch Crank. <laughs> The greatest American movie of the last 25 or maybe even 50 years. So anyway, listen, I'm Steve Burns, obviously, and probably illegally. And you over there, uh-huh. with a Star Wars t-shirt on your twat, yeah. are uh, Sir James Trinker. Yes, I am, yeah. 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 So yeah. how was your Christmas? My Christmas was alright. I went up to see the children. Uh, yeah. Spent two weeks in Hartlepool. You mean, um, you mean video game people? Uh, what, sorry? The children. Children. The, oh, no, my, no, no, I mean my actual children. Oh, right, okay. Not, 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 not Pat Bren. Not, not Pat Bren, <laughs> not Chris Bratt, not Patrick Dane. Uh, I mean, my actual actual biological children. Oh, right, the, the uh, ones so, legally you're responsible Yes, exactly. Um, yeah, in Hartlepool, where my mum lives, that was, was, was a bit of a Brexit Christmas. It was quite interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I had a lot of fun. I spent... Two days playing Dragon Age, and then the kids arrived in the house, and uh, I didn't get to play anything else because my my PlayStation was commandeered for Minecraft. Uh, yeah, of course it was for the two weeks. Yeah, of course it was. And Listen, then, shut the fuck up. About I did that. see that they built detention. What's that? One of your tweets. Mm-hmm. Built a classroom for detention, didn't they? Oh yeah, yeah. They, they they built a school in Minecraft, and they had like there was a detention room. And it's like, it's not really how schools work. They don't tend to have detention rooms solely for detention. And Evie was like, well, my school does. In this new form. Where have you sent that? Listen, Dave Mills, what have you been up to then? I'm back to the promised land. Yeah? Yeah. And uh, I saw a bunch of friends. Ah, sunny St. Helens, mate. Fuck's sake. It's glorious. Yeah, it's shy. How was it for you? Uh, It was good, yeah. Family, friends, uh... Sat around, played some PlayStation, drank some beers, ate a lot of chocolate. Mm. Classic. Yeah, I mean, oh, I mean we I've went through to... so much fucking quality street, it was actually abysmal. I managed to put on a bit of weight, mm. um, and that is literally because I got off the pizza diet. So in the run-up to Christmas, we've been very busy with certain other things, that you know, the things that we do, or people pay us for. And there's a lot going on there, I need to get a lot sorted. And I was on one pizza a day. Fine, I looked amazing. I looked lean. <laughs> Never I looked, leave the pizza diet. I looked fucking lean, mate. It was great. My girlfriend was like, "What has happened here? How has this happened?" I was like, "I don't know, but I look fucking amazing." Now I'm eating like a real person. I'm fat. Don't do it's it. Those vegetables, mate. That's what gets you. Oh, I love broccoli, though. I do like you're the only person on the planet who can just eat a pizza a day and look good. <laughs> but you know, and the rest of us do that, and um, we just like. But you know, it's secret fat guy stuff, don't it? Like, <laughs> while the stress was happening with a lot of um, uh-huh. you know getting stuff ready for Christmas and all of that, yeah, uh, that's when you lose weight. But I'm six foot three and a bit. So I'm like a secret fat guy. I'm like a wrestler from the 90s, <laughs> you know, generally. But on the pizza diet, I was secret starting Secret fat to... guy, big boss man. He exactly. Or, you know, one of those guys. So, yeah, yeah over Christmas, so I got Dishonored 2. Mm-hmm. Good game, that. Good game. Yeah, not, you didn't finish it, though, did not you? Not finish it. I don't have time for video games anymore. <laughs> well, not ones that I'm not working on. I um, tried to get into Watch Dogs 2. Um, when I, well, I mean, after I came back to London, we still had a few days before mm. you and we were doing any proper stuff, and uh, I just like I just kind of decided that 
I was like, oh, I don't want to do anything that requires interaction. All I want to do right now is sit and watch cartoons. So I started watching Star Wars Rebels, which Ooh. is really good. Oh, I thought you were going to make the joke about Star Wars, you know, the prequels there. As you were saying <laughs> earlier, Jim, about them all being uh, cartoons with they some are, live action. They are basically Pixar cartoons, except not anywhere near <laughs> as good. Um, That's true. That's true. All right, well, listen, hmm. listen. What did it, What films did people catch up on over the Christmas period, Christmas New Year's period? I've got an amazing one. But you go first, Jim. Right. I saw Fantastic Beasts for a second time because yeah. I took my kid. And then saw Rogue One for a second time because yeah. I took the same kid, actually. Oh, right. Um, well, is it, the cinema in Hartlepool had this amazing deal where it was a fiver a ticket. What? And it's like, how? Is it the 90s? How is this even profitable? Like, it's, I mean, it obviously isn't, is it? <laughs> so just flat rate, every ticket's a fiver. Um, like, and it wasn't the right cinema for my loser pass because it wasn't the cine world. But... Um, I was like, all right, okay, we'll go and see all the films then. But yeah. Um, so, so you watched the same two films yeah. twice. Uh, yeah. Um, good work. Good but they're work. good. No, but uh, one thing I did watch was uh, Dark Horse, which was a, a documentary about the Welsh village that bred itself a racehorse and put it into the Grand National about 10 years ago. Did it win? Um, it won the Welsh Grand National, and it was actually it actually did quite well considering it was like it was just like a bunch of working class Welsh people that owned it. And <laughs> Who went? And we want tough. a racehorse now. Yeah, yeah. Let's do that. Yeah, yeah. No, literally. I mean, like somebody was. <laughs> Not the was it on the car, Just the. Uh, I think it, it. I think it was shown at the can and um, at the can. At the can. Yeah. <laughs> it was shown at that can. Yeah, at that can. That can. Um. No, I think it. I think it did have a limited sort of theatrical release. Mm-hmm. It's on Netflix at the moment. Okay, and it's really, really good. It's a really it. one of Who's those. In it? One of those great. <laughs> it's fucking, it. fucking Robert Downey Jr.'s in it as the horse. <laughs> yeah. um, it's one. It's one of those great um, cinematic documentaries. Like it's beautifully shot, and it's got a great. That like they found this great narrative with it, and uh, and and forgive me, mum, but. It's really, really funny because it's Welsh people talking about stuff, and that's just automatically really funny. <laughs> one of them doesn't have any teeth, um, so only uh, only one. Yeah, so fair, fair so I watched that, and uh, another one was um, was it Hunt for the Wilder People or something like yes, that. Yes, yeah. Hunt for yeah. the Wilder People. That's a fucking cracking little film. Yeah, uh, cracking uh, film set in New Zealand, and uh, it, it's 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 about a little kind of chubby kid who who is a bit of a rogue gets adopted has an adventure with uh, a sort of adoptive father a very reluctant adoptive father so basically the setup is that uh, he, he enters this family the the the, the mum the adoptive mum is is you know has he has a great relationship with her she's well up for it Dad's not really bothered, mm, mm, uh, mm. and then you know something happens that forces the dad and the kid together, and they have this mad adventure. And it and it does she get iced? Well, I'm not going to say. Well, obviously, in it, like well, I not mean, come on, mate. The way the way you described that there, not necessarily. She could just be in hospital, or she could have just gone to the shops, yeah. and they had to fucking figure yeah, out how to work gone, an oven. You don't the, know the plot the, of this film. Gone to the big shop in the fucking no. sky, mate. <laughs> gone to the big little. But no, I, have you seen it, Dave? No, I've not seen it. Yet. Right, it, it's, I've heard good um, things. It's it's a it's a wonderful, it's a really fucking funny film. It's really good, and it starts off as a very small indie film, and by the end of it, it's like, oh my god, this film got really big. Like, like it, you so know, it's like the opposite of where was it? 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which gets from it's just dramatically it's just like, in all senses smaller. It's one of these the things act. like the stakes just kept getting bigger and bigger, and then yeah. all of a sudden you've got like a car chase with like fucking a hundred vehicles involved. So it's You're like, like oh, how did we get here? Fucking fantastic film if you've uh, got yeah. access to it. Yeah. You know what, Jim? You sold me on that more than. Um... <clears throat> more than the ads and stuff yeah. they should have you just just doing that mm. on a podcast we yeah, are available I'm, I'm well good at describing stuff but not talking about the bad bits that should yeah. be an advertising yeah well that, handy handy <laughs> Dave you went and saw that movie uh, with Liam Neeson in that's not an action movie either though, didn't you I did Amongst the Coles yeah Really good. Well, they, just, I mean, people it. can't tell you from the look that you give me that. Um, yeah, Monster Calls. Um, a really good little fantasy film. Um, not not kind. Of, it's like, I suppose it's a coming of age drama as well, but it's not the kind of overly soppy that you, you usually get. Like the little kid in it, um, Lewis McDougal, I think his name is, who plays that's Connor. That's not a real fucking yeah. Lewis McDougal. That's That's like no, you yeah. can't fucking join. Uh... But he does some heavy lifting in that film. Like dialogue wise, and really carries yeah. it. Um, and, and, and yeah, I, I think it's definitely worth a watch. I mean, a lot of people in there were like getting teary and stuff, it didn't grab me emotionally as much as it did other people, but it's certainly worth mm. worth going to see. Yeah, was there, was there open weeping in the uh, there was, there was. Oh, well, listen, speaking of, of Liam Neeson, there's Lewis McDoodle and Pat McGrine, fucking Pat McGrine. members of equity. Sorry, carry on. <laughs> uh, speaking of uh, Liam Neeson. I was speaking. I was speaking not to Liam Neeson, but to a friend of mine who uh, looks knew, like Liam Neeson, <laughs> who knew someone, who knew someone. Uh, I won't say exactly who it is, but who's older than he, who had just heard that Liam Neeson was in Silence by Martin Scorsese, oh, yes. and um, <laughs> and just only knowing Liam Neeson from you know latter day action hero, just just assumed that it was an action movie, and uh, was like, I really want to go and see it. And uh, this person, I don't think. It is an action movie. And of course, Silence is not in any way, shape or form really an action movie. Uh, I don't not think... Not quite Jesuits in uh, I don't in think there's any heads getting shut indoors. <laughs> but I mean, that speaks to how... Um, just how big Liam Neeson has got as an action star, which really, if you were... I mean, you, you should know. have gone with him and watched that film. I mean... Just I'm literally just, sat there just going, see how long he turns up in a minute. Like, shit's going to kick off any minute. It's, it's a, really slow. But... Well, yeah. But speaking of, uh, of films starring good actors who have kind of gone a bit sideways into action stuff. So I watched The Equalizer the other day. The Denzel Washington, Antoine Fuqua uh, interpretation of the old 80s Edward Woodward starring TV show. Uh, so... Yeah, it's it's like two hours long or something. It doesn't need to be two hours. I mean, long. two hours is not that weird for a feature film. I know, but it, but for this, it, the plot is man man is wrong tangentially. <laughs> it's someone he knows is wrong, so he spends the rest of the movie kicking people's fucking heads in, which is is cool. But there's there's a big gap between the oh and then the I'm gonna fuck people up, and I don't know. Denzel is so good in anything that he kind of just. Even if it's just a little bump, just elevates. Because you're always like, I really want to, I really want to see Denzel shut people's heads indoors. I just want to see it. But um, it's not very good. I wouldn't, you know, I can't believe that those two guys made Training Day, and then what? Fourteen years later, they make that. But you know, but you know what we should speak about? The most important movie of the Christmas and New Year period. The movie which was written, directed, lit, shot, 
and starring Sir David Mills. It's uh, Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Yeah, all Dave. of that is definitely factual. <laughs> I thought for a minute you are going to suggest uh, Matt Lee's video of Jim Trinker, which I think is definitely the best video. <laughs> yeah, that was great. Uh, but uh, So I saw Rogue One in Super Twato Vision at the... Uh, um, the IMAX? No, well, not in not in terms of screen size, Twilight Vision, but I saw it at Leicester Square in the big Odeon there. And Have they still got those disgusting leopard print seats? No. Thank God. Not upstairs where I was. I was in the Royal Circle thing looking out, obviously. The Circle. That's yeah. what it's called, you can. Yeah. But Rogue One, I'll say that uh, I quite liked it. I think it's got one of the, um, one of the strongest endings mm-hmm. uh, yes. of... Of a film I've seen in a long time, it's difficult to quantify. I mean, with Rogue One, I would I wouldn't like to have reviewed it straight after coming out of it mm. because the end it ends on such a high mm. that I think that's that obscured a lot of the breathless kind of oh it's incredible. The last minute of it is incredible, and what goes before it is is quite good in a lot of ways. Mm. But I thought that uh, yeah, I thought the ending was quite good. It's a sort of obviously but I thought it bounced mm. too much in its opening I liked I had it too, a lot too, too many it's like a, di- a dirty dozen Star Wars movie mm. but none of them are interesting I understood why he was doing that I suppose it's to say that across this entire galaxy mm. the threat is coming and everywhere is feeling it but it did feel mm. like I'd rather have three or four rather than more than seven or eight or mm. and because the biggest sin for me in, in any movie is the bouncing so, so you just turn up on a different planet mm-hmm. I can't remember the names of any of those fucking planets Really? Well, you don't really revisit them, do you? You know, it's just like, oh, okay. And so you turn up for a little while. I don't. A lot of people really hated it, though, didn't they? Like a lot of people. Well, I mean, it's because it's a Star Wars film. It always you get you know get both ends of this hyperbole of it's the best thing that anyone has ever made and it's untouchable Mm. and also oh it's shite and it's it's neither of those things. It's 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 well made. I thought it was better than The Force Awakens. I thought it was miles better than The Force Awakens, to be honest. There's a lot. I loved the opening with the with the beach and the, them coming mm. across in the kind of matte black stormtroopers and and him in the in the flowing white. Oh, yeah. Like I thought that looked absolutely brilliant. Um, and and yeah, I thought the story's really good. The ending's great. I, th- I think probably because the studio, you know, you know exactly what comes as soon as that that film ends. Yeah. A new hope begins. So, you know, they can't bend their arm into saying like oh well we can have another kind of spin-off where these characters it's like no <laughs> we know they're not in a yeah, new hope if so. they just disappeared i i quite liked the uh it's not nihilistic in any way the ending because it actually means something to to everyone well, it means a lot more that they had to do that yeah but i i did like what happens to the lead and the co-lead uh i liked what happened with krennic um vader was really good in one scene there was a, towards the end i was a bit worried that um so kind of like spoilers if you've not seen it i was worried that all we see of vader was him in the shower essentially uh and i said to the guy sitting next to me if he doesn't turn up and stop killing people we are fucking mad because that's all anyone's actually wanted out of a star wars movie that's set before a new hope and after he gets all fucked up uh i think the end of rogue one is what people anticipate that the end of revenge of the sith would be more like him going on a bit of a rampage mm-hmm. but yeah I, I like that there was no holds barred in in how those characters uh, got killed as well one gets exploded horribly mm. uh, in a in a big box basically an errant grenade flies in and that's dead I mean if you think about what would have actually happened to the physiology of that person you'd be scraping off the fucking walls uh, and 
you know, the Death Star annihilates quite a few people, much like the ending of uh, Deep Impact. Minus mm. the, <laughs> it is the end. That is the Tia Leone scene from Deep Impact with her and her dad. Mm. I, I liked it. I didn't think it was amazing. Like I say, I thought it bounced too much. And I think in a lot of ways you could kind of see that, that a lot of the cutting that happened, a lot of the stuff leaves some instances of un, not unresolved, but character motivation and set pieces don't quite gel as well. Like some of them just seem a bit... So the, the attack that's meant to look like you know, rebel insurgents... Uh, in reality um, or you know in the Middle East or whatever when they attack the um, Imperial troops mm-hmm. when they're in the tank uh, on the planet where they meet uh, uh, Donnie Yen I just thought just it's just a set piece for a set pieces thing unless there was something to explain it a bit later on I don't know it just didn't quite fit together but mm. yeah. yeah it does it, fl- it flits around too much to be sort of uh, really coherent and really uh, it, it, it does take um yeah, it does take a while to kind of settle into its groove. Um, but, I, but you know, somebody pointed out, um, I can't remember who it was, but somebody pointed out that it's sort of, it's almost like the perfect film to bridge the prequel trilogy and the original trilogy because it starts off a bit dog shit and gets fucking amazing by the <laughs> end. It's like this, this perfect... Because um, it's nice to see a film set before A New Hope that has, like, acting in it. And, yeah, uh, yeah, and people, and editing, yeah. and and yeah. some sort of any kind of emotion whatsoever. Yeah, well, just just any sort of basic grasp of how I don't to like put sand. together it's a coarse. film. No, shut up. Like, Oof. I mean, correct. I mean, Rogue One and watching Star Wars Rebels, which is like a kids cartoon. Is I mean, it's a good kids cartoon. Brackets bad, but mm. it's good. Um, but I kind of went down a bit of a hole um, in the past few days, sort of obsessing over the prequel films. Not watching them, because fuck no. <laughs> but sort of watching certain scenes and trying to... Because there's a consensus on those has shifted along amongst the sort of... The actual, like, the the big fucking mad internet fans mm. who think they own it. When, you know, obviously they're a minority and they're all fucking mad. Mm. But there's a, we- a real consensus shift with the prequels where a lot of people think that they were hard done by. And you th- and then I think... And I started, like... Well, actually, they think the prequels were hard the, done the by. The prequels were hard done by. There's the, a lot of the interesting were, themes and stuff in there, know, but they aren't brought to light in, no, in any I mean, kind of interesting way whatsoever. I've always thought of the prequels as, like, they're a great backdrop, they're great kind of lore to draw from, and the, the broad strokes of them, the story they tell, is potentially very good but the execution is the execution is like it's 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 like watching a student film but with a budget of billions of dollars it's fucking terrible um like every fucking shot is too long it's held too long like the the editor was asleep i don't know what they like especially with attack of the clones like watching some scenes and also the tech isn't there for a lot of stuff no it really is do then and over this fucking shot on a 1080p camcorder as well essentially like something that i mean right at the time in 2002 the camera they shot that on was fucking state of the art but now it's like you you might as well have shot that on on a dslr because it, it it's not like you're, ne- you're never going to be able to blow this up to 4K. So like, by sort tr- of pushing, you've pushing ahead with uh, getting rid of film. You've actually fucked it for future proofing. Well, because I mean, the mm-hmm. entire point so. of of George Lucas's 
like ethos on this was to was to bring bring down the kind of so when you when you have an actor and, you, and you're shooting on film mm-hmm. you, you tend to have maybe 10 minutes stay on a roll and then you've got to stop and change that and and if something so say it's a, a 400 foot roll if something runs at 210 feet then obviously mathematically then you've got to change it then so you're constantly and he wanted to to get rid of that and break down the barriers so that technology kind of liberated mm-hmm. shooting um hmm. but then it it's obviously had the opposite effect when you've then gone, okay, so this needs to be green screen. So now we need to get like 300 monitors here and DITs to download the footage and all these banks and banks of people. And and then it's it's actually created the opposite effect of what it well, is. that works actually, for him though, doesn't it? Because he's got or had that fucking empire up in uh, San Francisco mm-hmm. and he owned those oh, films which did that, which then he could sell it on. Like, I, I think a lot of the... You're absolutely right there, Dave. But I think a lot of the stuff about George Lucas being stupid, like, okay, so he's not an amazing film director. He's made mm. some amazing films, but I you know, I don't think you can say he's an amazing film director. What he is is an incredibly smart person. Well, he saw where it was all going. It just kind of, I guess it was yeah. almost like an, an overexcitement of where, where it could head and diving in and, and, and what always these things fall apart on is an over-reliance on new technology rather than going, this is something else to add to the canon of filmmaking. But also a weakness that comes from the fact that no one can challenge him. So over the Christmas period, I watched the, uh, from um, Puppets to Pixels, it's called, which is the episode two technology making of, and it runs for about six days, uh, maybe because they didn't have to change any uh, reels of film. And it's just shite like they're, they're, he's talking a lot of shit and no one says anything at all no one can what are they going to do tell tell the emperor that he's wrong nah like and it's just you know it's the same with the Wachowskis as well soon as you've got millions and millions or billions to play with and someone says no you go well but it's my toy so I can I'll crash this mm. fucker <laughs> so yeah I just and you just those are the most instructive things about those you know, the other one, the beginning, the documentary about episode one, not seen the one for episode three yet. Because mm-hmm. um, there's a, you know, a legitimate sadness and now we're here. But I, yeah, I think that once you've got, because he has had control over everything. So yeah. there wasn't like someone could go, the closest you get was like Ben Burt or was it John Null? Like, no. But they, even then they say no, they say, well, yeah. and there's these moments where George comes in and he's deciding just on his own which of these so he's hiring people who are animators and you know people who make all these amazing creatures and he's just having the final word but that never you know you've got to have someone who makes a decision but he comes in and says oh i want this and that i want this element transposed onto this body this head on this body and mm. they just go okay and he's not stanley kubrick he can't be like action fucking genius just just listen to what i'm saying because at this point, it's proved with episode one that he's fucked it. And also with episode one, he hadn't directed a movie in, what, six... No, nearly 20 years? Over, maybe? Yeah, mm. over 20 years, right? Maybe he did some other shit, I don't know. But he hadn't mm. directed a good movie since the original Star mm. Wars. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I think it's just... And, you know, uh, the, the direction on the original Star Wars is... is still isn't incredible. It's like, not that great. <laughs> no, all the rest of those things... It's a things great like, film, but that, you know, his, yeah. his direction is not, like... Isn't, that's not the stellar fucking part of it, is it? No. We've gone back to the technology um, side. The irony is now that, actually, when you work on these big-budget films, it, a lot of the time it would just be a lot quicker to shoot 
on a 35 mil camera mm. the way they have done for you know decades and decades before before digital came in and now it's slowly catching up that it's getting more streamlined and, and the cameras to be honest on, on Rogue One were, were brilliant they were digital Arri Alexa 60, mm. uh, 65 mil yeah which I mean looks incredible I watched it was on the Rogue iMac. One not shot on film no was it oh wow Shit, there you go. The inside knowledge. Well, yeah. Dave, you were there, and let's not break any NDAs, but one of the things that's uh, been talked about a lot with Rogue One mm. is the uh, is the reshoots, some of the edits, uh, specifically Tony Gilroy, who uh, wrote uh, the some of the Bourne movies and I think directed the uh, the latest one. Uh, apparently, uh, I think it was a Hollywood reporter, Hollywood reporter was saying that he was paid $5.5 million uh, to do some editing work on the film and shoot some of the reshoots. It's an interesting one because 5.5 million is obviously quite a lot of money, but then if he's coming on board as a secondary director, essentially, to, to make it all fit together, then that'll make sense. But Dave, that doesn't seem to be the case from your experience, Well, it? yeah, there's a, I mean, a lot, of, a lot of stuff was made, noise was made around the fact that there was reshoots, and I have never, ever worked on a feature film that hasn't had reshoots. I don't mm. think I know anyone. Uh, I mean, I've worked on films where we've done reshoots and we've shot 65% of what you see in the cinema <laughs> in the reshoots. Like, it's an absolutely normal thing to, ha- to, to have reshoots. And whenever I was was there, Gareth was was the director. And so I think there's oh, a lot Gareth. of noise about that. Me and Gareth. Gareth I'm and I. Gaza. Hanging out down the boozer. So, so no, I think it's definitely a Gareth Edwards film. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's interesting as well that a lot of the uh, the first trailer... Uh, because the science or the art a bit of both of making trailers is really fascinating to me because speaking of Kubrick he controlled everything control but now you've got houses that take the well, footage you've got and, teams of yeah PR teams and stuff and do that, especially with a Disney picture let alone a Star Wars Disney picture but yeah watching that first trailer back now it's not unusual for trailers to feature alternate uh, shots cuts whatever but it is unusual for a lot of alternate plot points, scenes, dialogue, etc., to not make it, and and quite a lot as well. I think the the most jarring one is when Jin is on top of the antenna uh, array in the at the end of Rogue One, and that Tie Fighter pops up, mm-hmm. which looks like a battle scene. But someone posited that that was actually the Imperial pilot would help her down from there, maybe get away from Krennic. Yeah, or she's running towards it, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then go down, and then she would be seen running across the beach with the plans. Because Dave, you said that you were there and you were on the beach, um, well, in that scene, and then she was down there because she never come. Well, she does come back from down there, but not for anything. <laughs> running across uh, a beach to freedom. So, mm-hmm. but there's a lot, and there's there seems to have been deleted or removed or excised. Um, uh, one of the Darth Vader scenes where Krennic talks him through. <clears throat> how powerful the Death Star is. And that seems to have been replaced with CGI Peter Cushing taking on, because he's trying to explain how powerful it is. Because a lot of, it's like, there's loads of middle management in Rogue One. Like, Krennic's just a frustrated, yeah, like, you know, middle manager is like, oh, because he's trying to, he's trying to prove that he can make it work, that it does work. Mm-hmm. It's essentially just like hardware engineering. He could be making an Xbox. You know, he could be going to Bill and saying, oh, Look, I fucked it. I'm sorry. Uh, which I actually thought was really interesting. But that uh, scene was about nice, the power. It was nice to see that side of the Empire. Because mm. we've always kind of imagined it as this um, sort of backstabby kind of bureaucracy. And there's, a, there's obviously a lot of... Uh, I mean, well, it's basically the Tory party, isn't it? Yeah. And then 
um, to actually kind of see it play out and to see that you know that that, that, that Tarkin has uh, has has maneuvered, mm. um, it, you know the Death Star wasn't Tarkin's baby; it was Krennic's, but Tarkin has maneuvered Krennic away from mm. it. But and, I like all that the know, politics because the politics great. in the future that's like that that it is right now. And then reading at the minute about kind of ancient Rome, and it's mm. like oh, absolutely nothing has changed. Nothing <laughs> like, in has terms changed. of political like, yeah, exactly. Every every period of history is a reskin of the last. Like. <laughs> It's, it's a new Call of Duty game. reading yeah. history books and learning from it at some yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. Well, on that note, um, we'll get into some of the questions uh, now. So, that's um, it. In speaking of CGI talking, and now, unfortunately, CGI uh, player, Carrie Fisher, uh, uh, Marie Streeting tweeted, should dead actors appear in film long after they're dead, obviously with Carrie Fisher, uh, that was not the case. But so I think when we talk about the the Cushing thing, there's a whole discussion uh, that mm. we're in line about this. It's a really good point. Is that people say some some said always you know that they'd taken their father or someone, and Peter Cushing was their favourite actor, and it was and then after said it was good to see him back on the screen again. But it it's not. I mean, this has really split a lot of people. Yeah, because he's being acted by someone else. It's it's animation. It's not so... Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's... Uh, I think... So this started to get I, a bit of traction. I, I kind of wonder if Peter Cushing would have got a kick out of the fact that it took about 200 people to, re- to approximate a performance of his and it still wasn't as good. Yeah, I think that I mean, the... Uh, but, I mean... I think you yeah. spurring me, it's quite a nice tool to, I mean, I, some people hated the princess Leia like made to look young thing I quite liked it it was there for one line um, her last line on screen is hope which is quite a nice oh, thing it. as well obviously I, um, I liked it I, I mean I, I thought it was a great way to but I think you don't film. want to head down the road of why don't we do a whole spin-off with uh, with a young princess well, Leia it's just Star Wars Rebels isn't it I think yeah. with Cushing and Carrie Fisher as a fucking crime uh, yeah. solving duo I don't think but there's there's also a question and this is a big thing in, in movie making that not a lot of time or effort or anything gets expended thinking about but of uh, accreditation so George Lucas ran into big problems uh, shooting The Empire Strikes Back because of uh, Screen Actors Guild rules about credits going on the opening of movies and of course Star Wars just opens with you know mm-hmm. a big fanfare a title I generally card. against credits at the beginning of the film I don't like it at all I find but, it really boring yeah but you know they, those unless, are they're, unless they're kind of woven into the to the mm. telling of the story Steven Spielberg's Catch Me If You Can is a great title yeah. sequence because it kind of tells the story of the film w- yeah. with all the but I hate sitting through a list of names at the beginning in, like, in like, like the 30s and 40s it was look who's in the movie yeah. you know that whole like scrolling kind of thing but with so Peter Cushing that's not Peter Cushing someone played Peter Cushing uh, I can't remember what that guy's name is I probably should he's a major character in the new Star Wars movie about Death Star you know I think there's there's a lot to be to be talked about I think Dave you're right you sparingly when you see CGI Cushing looking out of the window at the Death Star, which is a scene I think you were present for, uh, even though he wouldn't have been there. Um, seeing him reflected in the Star Destroyer, I think it is, in or whatever, I don't know. Or no, he's on the Death Star, isn't he? So seeing him reflected in the little window or whatever, that's cool. But then... I think that is the way around it as yeah, well. It's because really you're nice like, that the oh, reflection that's, that's, is... Yeah, it works on a meta level as well. It's takes, really nice. Yeah, you know, but... Then it's when Princess Leia turns around. You know, what reminds me of you know, uh, Limmy, the comedian, was like, "It's it's really interesting, Uncanny Valley, that you just can't get over it. There's something in your brain, and obviously your mind 
uh, is attuned to look at people's faces to discern whether what their emotional state is, whether they're angry or happy, and a lot of that uh, is a lot millions of, I guess, years of evolution. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like masks scare people. Um, this, talk, someone was talking about this in terms of The Shining and everything like that, and eyes wide shut because you can't discern what the the face is saying. So you have like a big four o four. Your brain mm. can't process, and you start to panic about what that what it means. Mm. Um, I think. With uh, with CGI Tarkin and everything, with me, every time I see it, it just reminds me of that bit in The Terminator, the first one, when um, they talk about the old was it, T600 no, uh, models, and uh, Carl Reese goes, they had rubber skin and they were just too easily detected. Because something, and I always think that, because they look so rubbery. As a, you know, they don't have, there's something in the eyes, I don't know quite what it is, but yeah, that's always just strikes in my mind, like you will always know when something isn't technically, maybe you won't, maybe in 20 years time it just will be, but you sparingly. But even, even if you, the technology comes so good that you could do a scene and then we mm. could make, God help us, a fake version of you that was, you can tell which one, I still don't think that you should be then overly reliant on that technology to bring back actors from the past and oh let's do a film with Marlon Brando right well there are that's a dangerous road to go down I liked it in Star Wars I I liked the Leia thing you know I mean you could tell that it would you know that that she's made to look younger but it worked fine as one shot in this particular case with with Cushing because I mean as, as, as we've noted it wasn't intentional with Carrie Fisher she died after it had been done um, but yeah, and no, with, with, with the Cushing thing, it's very, very specific, very, very, um, that, that's an iconic character, an iconic well, very character. Very relevant to the plot. Very relevant well. to the plot. And also a character that is, let's face it, in A New Hope, isn't really seen. Like, it, like he's, bar- he's barely in any of it. Like, he's got a couple of bits at the start and, you know tells people off at the end to cut but like that is not a peter cushing film so we only get glimpses of tarkin but and despite that like that character has has stuck with people and there's loads of expanded universe shit about him and people obsess about moff tarkin i mean how much actual screen time did peter cushing have in star wars what like a fucking 90 seconds like i can't mm. you know if you if you toss it all together um so, like, there, there is a case to be made for this. The estate were um, give it their blessing, etc. Um, but people talking about this being a sort of slippery slope down to you know an era where we're gonna like yo, let's put Humphrey Brogart in. And I, I don't think that's we'll have not gonna happen. Oh, you know what? You hum- say you won't Humphrey happen, but... Brogart isn't a fucking box office draw anymore. And yeah. Certainly, fucking CGI Humphrey Brogart isn't. So it's not gonna but at happen. At the same time, I think that there is you know we talk about a slippery slope. It used to be that um, if you think about Bruce Lee, after Bruce Lee died, there was still tons of footage left over from certain other movies, and they recut that into new films, mm. new you know quote end quote uh, new films. Then I think this whole this whole modern thing really kind of got started with the CGI stuff with Sky Captain and the World of Tomorrow, one of the eight hundred ninety five million Jude Law movies of uh, of that particular mm. year. Um, which, and, which were all terrible. Yeah. Just, just. Uh, I heart Huckabees was okay, but I feel that if I watched it again, it would be very, very mid-2000s. Yeah. But, um, you know, Laurence Olivier was in that, and there was a big hoo-ha of, you know, he's back from the dead. And, and these questions were being asked then. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I, if you're a studio mm-hmm. and there's a market out there, they'll fucking do it. They will do oh, it. Oh, yeah, if the market was... I, I think it's, the it's prohibitively expensive at this point. If, you know. Also, I think you've just got to ethically ask as well questions around, as an artist, would you want 
to because obviously you get to choose what you do to an extent as an actor yeah. or whatever that people can bring you back from the dead to to do work with you i know there's a, there was a thing with michael jackson as well with music about releasing his unreleased mm. and um songs and that the argument that well he, they weren't released they didn't want you to fucking listen to yeah. them otherwise he'd have released them yeah. and the same with uh with novelists as well who write a novel that they're not happy with and stick it in a safe and then Obviously, if it's going to make a shit ton of money, they go, oh, we'll, we'll stick it out there. It's like, because yeah. you know how you get over even just whatever you make that's, that's small at the minute that we're making, how you want it to be to be right. And you don't mm. want something out there that you're not happy with. Yeah, I think it's, there's going to be a lot more uh, litigation surrounding this in a lot of the estate planning for people now. They're going to, there's going to be a lot of uh, specification regarding what I can from beyond the grave mm-hmm. be involved with. There was a Well you can a, communicate via your Wi Fi gravestones. So that is that's the future. There you go. Anyway, listen, there but there was an advert not so long ago about um it was for sure uh, deodorant and um it had like famous you know uh, film stars. So one was James Dean, uh you know, like a shot where he's got like one arm but so you can see his armpit or you know, can't not the pit itself, but like you can see under his arm and like there were white marks and the line was, you know, it'll keep you cool no matter how cool you think you are. Something along those lines. And they had one for Steve McQueen. I think it was the bullet poster mm-hmm. where he's kind of like got his hand on the door frame. And people were like, oh, you know, that's not right. But then that's the decision of the estate basically or yeah. whoever owns I think that's quite different because you're kind of reappropriating cultural yeah, things. Yeah, but to sell deodorant, yeah. I mean, I get it. I mean, those guys, you know, uh, I, I understand that argument, but yeah. So Dave, you were so it must have been interesting uh, to have done some scenes in Rogue One just while we're finishing talking about that, and then going to see the cinema and seeing that oh, how things it is amazing. I mean, that happens visual a effects lot, but... films, the green green screen type films, when when suddenly all the things that you're you're not quite sure how they're going to all piece together, and then you see. Then you see, I mean, like the camera truck was parked next to the top of the the platform oh, really? for for weeks, and because I never filmed on the actual set, I was like, "What is that thing that looks like a, a fairy tale, fairy go round, merry go round?" And uh, and then obviously you see it's up there on the top of this massive thing yeah. in the in the the desert, um, and you get that a lot with with the visual effects films, Sherlock Holmes, Two Game of Shadows. There was a just a, a, like a simple shot that I still don't really know why it wasn't done for real, closing a London street, just coming off a building and down, and you have uh, Holmes and Watson walking towards you. And that shot must have had about 50 elements of it, because we did the crane shot, the thing coming down, Holmes and Watson moving, walking towards us on a green screen, uh, carriages going past on a green screen, uh, bits of crowd that were then kind of copied and put about, and then the buildings put in. And I, I don't know, sometimes I feel like, is it not easier to shut off a street for a day, get a crane, shoot it yeah. once and have it? I guess, obviously, it's more difficult when you're doing things that are based in a certain time period or in the past. Mm. Or if you're going to the, the future, where it's yeah. obviously you want to be creating things that aren't. Some some composites really work uh, um, that you wouldn't ever think of CG. Someone pointed out the other day on uh, what's that uh is it southpaw the jake uh, gillenhorn mm-hmm. boxing one and that when he walks out for one of his fights i think it's that one he's walking out and there's uh the crowd is uh it's either cgi or it's from two different well, it's not cgi but the the way it's composited is two different takes so they're like a light bulb goes off or a flash of light 
like uh, someone taking a, a like a kind of old style picture mm-hmm. or a light kind of swoops down over them as you know the uh, the technical work and it just then the crowd is different if you look but you never look because you just fall into thinking because obviously these two shots have been put together mm-hmm. with a little bit of cgi mixing or whatever and it's it's really good and there must be hundreds of those effect shots that are in many many movies that you just don't think about it's when it's so front and center mm-hmm. like a talking yeah well have you seen uh, zodiac <sighs> yes i mean like, the Fincher one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, mo- half the shots in that film, if not most, are, are like... Is it every frame of painting that breaks down Yeah. the uh, how much of that is... Uh, and there was, there was, there was like, the, there one, was um, on the on the Blu-ray, there were features oh, on the Blu-ray. It, but like, it's incredible. When you watch the film, I had no idea how much was that. I mean, it didn't, didn't think about the fact, it's obviously a period piece, San Francisco doesn't look like that mm-hmm. anymore, but it didn't occur to me because it's because it's so seamless and you just wouldn't know and then uh, you watch like this the featurette about the stuff well look how much of that frame is actually real and the rest of it a lot of it is to do with just having control though because i mean certainly if you've got massive a-list actors or you know i mean harry potter i think did one day on location in pretty much the entire series because obviously you're going to get absolutely mobbed if that was Mm. in in most places that are real so it's about Mm. having that control and being able to do do things again and again. There's yeah, a, there's a great um, bit in one of the Harry Potter films where he's at Surbiton Station, and Dumbledore turns up and cock blocks him. What? And every time I'm at Surbiton, I think about that. <laughs> wow. This, uh, this, yeah, this, this is where there you go. Started this is, this Rogue is where ended stopped. up with Harry Potter cock blocking. Oh, wow. Let's move on. on this that is note. where Dumbledore stopped him getting a shag. I mean, it literally <laughs> right. happens. On that note, we're going to move on to uh, some uh, some of the other questions. You uh, you bunch of fucking assholes. So Mick Boss asks. So we'll get this one out of the way just quickly because uh, it's not really related to any of the other questions. Uh, Train spotting two. Will it be a disaster? Yes. I hate the marketing. T two. No. Yeah, it's not T2. Have you seen the trailers? Culture, so don't, uh, don't do that. Yeah. Um, T2, I haven't seen I don't really watch trailers. I, so, I mean, I'm nervous about it. It's The thing is, you've ruined it for me, Jim. And right. so, like the ring, I must now pass it on and ruin it for everyone else in order to feel better. Is that uh, obviously a lot of the stars of it, uh, Johnny Lee Miller, mm-hmm. Ewan McGregor, Rob Carlyle, etc., have, uh, the other one less so, have gone on to big careers. Uh, and a lot of them haven't spent a lot of time in Scotland, it seems. And so there's this, uh, there's this sick boy and Renton, I think, are having a conversation. And you're like, those are that's like me doing a Scottish accent. Yeah. Because obviously Johnny Lee Miller is either doing a you know a kind of faux British accent for Sherlock or whatever, or is out playing this, that, and the other. And you're like, that sounds incredibly forced. And obviously that's not their fault. But you think, where's that fucking accent gone? Boys? I mean, have you heard you and McGregor speak these days? <laughs> He sounds like it's a bit, oh yeah, he sounds very Scottish. Yeah, he sounds like he grew up in a fucking castle in Scotland. Like, <laughs> Ewan McGregor sounds like just sounds. I mean, I th- I think Ewan McGregor is a wonderful bloke, actually. As mm. as it happens, um, I, I don't rate a lot of the stuff he's been in, but um, I think he's great uh, as a human being. So I, I'd, I'd never say anything disparaging about him, but he sounds like a right sort of moneyed tosser. And that's, uh, he, he sounds not a the bit. content of what he says, but just, just the speech. I'm he, not saying that he is. I'm not saying that all moneyed Scottish tossers sound the same, mm. but he does sound very much like, uh, and Dave, obviously you were there 
a guy that we went to school with who was uh, moneyed. Uh, like he played croquet at school, basically. A <laughs> uh, guy who shares my first name and the uh, last name of uh, one of our other friends. So if you, if anyone people are listening, I don't want him to be like, that's fucking me. But you know who you are. You know who you are, motherfucker. No, he's a nice guy. He's a nice guy. But Going back to Hugh McGregor and, uh, and Star Wars, we were doing a film, uh, Someone Fishing in the Yemen in Scotland with this really like steep, bank of hills with you McGregor coming up and he, and he slipped and you just heard one of the electricians go use the force <laughs> did he go fucking mad or did he do a lot did he go fine well I mean I'd imagine he fucking hates that Star Wars chat every time it's brought up in an interview he's just like I, I went down a little bit of a YouTube hole over the weekend mm. like finding Ewan McGregor interviews where he has to mask his contempt for the prequels because he fucking hated those films you can tell he hated those films mm-hmm. um, to the point where there was one interview I saw where he he claims to not understand why everyone is so interested in Star Wars when they talk to him it's like you know as far as I'm concerned they were just films I was in and then I moved on I'm like you were in Star Wars motherfucker if they were good Star Wars films there's no fucking way on earth you'd, you'd be, be saying so. <laughs> you yeah. know like I mean you can see how um, kind of excited he is in the episode <clears throat> one making of like he even says at one point like they asked me to do Star Wars if I wanted to do Star Wars and I said fuck yes so yeah. I mean at that point you're getting approached and it's the greatest fucking yeah. opportunity and you're just a Scottish bloke. Are you going to feel like that when you're getting one every 18 months? Well, I mean, I just meant from like an actor's thing. I don't think you're... No. Because the thing about the, the, the thing about episode one was that it had been 16 years and and Star Wars has hit a bit of a like, lull. There's more time has passed between now and Phantom Menace than there had passed between Phantom Menace and Jedi. Getting there, yeah. Yeah. No, it is more. Oh, is it? Yeah. No, it is. It actually, yeah. yeah, You're right. Fuck. Yeah. Mm. Fuck. So. Because it's yeah, shit. (laughs) Yeah, that's uh, yeah. Those thought experiments are bad when you uh, (laughs) when you start realizing that you know I'm not even going to get into one of them. That you've been alive for longer than you thought. I've been alive for uh, 32 years, and let me tell you, it's been fucking awful. Yeah. Apart from all those Man United victories. All those pizzas. All those years ago. What did I reckon I was on pizza-wise? I'd clearly, I'd I'd eaten more than a thousand pizzas. I'd worked that out. (laughs) You ate more than a thousand pizzas when we were at uni. But I reckon I'm I'm cracking. Pizza diet, man. And that's like 3,000 calories each, like for good pizzas, right? What's in it, mate? I read a statistic that the human, the average human body contains about 150,000 calories. Really? So if you were going to eat one, like, you'd, you'd get... Maybe he's like a pro athlete in his yeah. spare time, you know, when they have to smash in like tens of thousands of calories because they work so Look, hard. Look, guys, I'm just... So when you, but when you think about it, you know, we eat about 2,000 calories a day, it should be a bit of a drop in the ocean, a drop in the ocean of calories that is the human body. So yeah, but you know. that's... Right. Listen... Okay, fine. All right, listen, we're going to... We're moving on now. Moving on. Uh, no, so, the point is, though, how the fuck do you eat a big pizza every day and It's because I'm huge? fucking brilliant. Listen, what's going to happen is... Okay, so... I think that... You're going to die. Yeah, basically. The doctor's going to look at you and go, his heart was full of pizza. It just stopped. (laughs) You know, basically... Your veins are full of actual string Good genetics, you know. um, But uh, I reckon that... You're actually Scottish, so calm down that. uh, Well, 
uh, like Scottish blade, isn't it? All the strengths and the weaknesses. Um, I can go out in the day. To, to <laughs> yeah, but you never do. I've never seen you in the daylight. I can go out in the day, and I'm also capable of eating salad. Yeah, yeah. but um, uh, yeah, but I soon. I reckon forty in and I'm out. It's going to be great. So, uh, Doctor Fist. On that note, <laughs> Doctor Fist. Uh, wow. uh, Doctor. Um, Best Bond actor film. Um, there's been a bit of chat. Uh, was a bit of ongoing rumbling chat about who's going to, you know, what's happening. Has Daniel Craig taken 50 million for two more movies? You mean, is it two more they offer? Or was it one more for 50 million? Or there was a bit of a, a back end deal going on, I think. But anyway, uh, you know what? I I think I'd say that the the Bond is one of those series, and we won't go on too long about this, which breaks down the best and favourite delineation. So I love Pierce Brosnan as Bond. So do I, but he's not in many good Bond films. But the Bond movies are in a are pretty much all shy apart from Goldeneye. Uh, they have some some of them have good elements, but by the end it's just crap. Plus, when you say Goldeneye, you think game. Yeah, uh, Dalton is amazing, but then he has to. He only has two films, and you know, one of them's kind of a weird revenge thriller, which was pretty much the blueprint of the later ones. But I don't think people were ready. They were coming off the back of Roger Moore fucking wearing flares and dressing up as a clown, chasing people as a. You know, it wasn't really the thing. Um, Sean Connery's amazing, absolutely incredible. But each of them, I think, the, between those three, for me, they have different elements of the same character. And also, he can keep his accent in that. He doesn't have to uh, put on a fake. Yeah. Uh, oh, you're the King of England, Russian. Scottish accent. <laughs> yeah. hey, you're a Russian submarine commander, Sc- Scottish accent. Just people, like, people don't believe I'm. A, they don't think I'm a Russian sub commander. They know I'm Sean Connery. So, get fucked. Yeah. yeah he's, he's just the. Uh, he's a Scottish equivalent of Arnold Schwarzenegger, isn't he? It's exactly. Just, just this is my voice. Deal yeah, with it. Yeah. Don't give a fuck. <laughs> Deal with it. So, uh, yeah, Gavs the ninety three. Doctor Mark Sloan. Mm-hmm. Dave, did you film that Vader scene in Rogue One? Very short answer to that. That is no. Well, <laughs> there you go. There you go. Wait, wait a minute. Which scenes he mean though? That scene. That scene. The one at the very end, right, okay. Darth Vader goes. Blind. Yeah, I'm sorry, because that it doesn't matter how you say the word that. No, people know. There are multi- if you talk about Rogue there One. Are, there are multiple Darth Vader scenes in that film. There are two. So, yeah. Yes. One, so yeah. And yeah. There one, are there are two. Yeah. And only so one. So just of, fucking specify. There are two, and one of them is him in the fucking bath. <laughs> One of them's in the space bath. He has to get out of it to have a meeting. <laughs> Specify space bath or, you know. Or uh, or planet It's Terror. called a back to tank. Anyway. Um, <laughs> space bath. <laughs> Sorry, that's ruined it for you. That's ruined it for me now. Yeah, it's got uh, a sequence in which Darth Vader has to get out of the space bath to, to meet the meeting, man. To go and have a meeting with the middle manager on a project. To, to shout he... at the man. <laughs> To shout at a builder. It's Rogue One a romantic comedy. <laughs> to shout, <laughs> to shout at the fucking one of the Geordie workers. Listen, you can't. There you go. That's that's that ruined. Uh, oh. 28 Interludes asks, in what mindset? And this is a really good question. Um, because I think we kind of... We talked about a lot of... Uh, about earlier about Star Wars prequels and the mindsets of people that go in and they kind of have revisionism and watching movies you always come in with either the advertising or usually with the advertisements or whatever in your mind so there's a certain thing you think you're going to get but this question in what mindset slash how do I watch Citizen Kane now this is a really fucking good question because Citizen Kane like The Shining which we'll talk about in a bit like The Godfather like Jaws like anything that is loved has been 
aped, imitated, copied, piss taken so long that the danger is that you will go into it thinking of the thing like, you know, the Simpsons episode of the where Mr. Burns loses the bear. <laughs> you know, that's from Citizen Kane and, you know, this whole, like, the Godfather has exactly the same thing because that Brando performance has been mimicked in the music. I'd say that Citizen Kane, just sit down and just fucking watch it because I think what you'll be surprised at if you've not seen it is how unbelievably technically adept it is, how much for a film made in, what, 1942 or something, the, mm. the modern elements of it, some of the camera work and some of the vision that Wells has. It doesn't... You often think about black and white movies or old movies from the period as being this kind of locked off, very talky, you know, shot, reverse, <laughs> maybe a bit of camera movement. But it's well, well... The reason why it's so... Not at the time, people fucking hated it, but why it became so revered was because it was so, so ahead of almost anything that was around it. Yeah, and I remember most people reviewing this and putting this as, as their number one film. They've obviously film critics who have an, an, an appreciation of film history and what the decades that came before it and how mm. this changed it and, and influenced things that come after it. But it's forget all of that. It's still as a standalone. If you don't know all that, just watch it. it is just a well written, well directed, yeah. well Although acted film. The script's film. a load of old shit, though, isn't it, Dave? Apparently. It's like 400,000 pages long. Oh, God, I've got the script. Yeah, yeah. It's like <laughs> about an 18 hour film in there. <laughs> but one, one of the things that I think it's actually difficult to not be surprised by, even knowing that how technically good it is, if you consider when it was, when it was made and what they had, you know, dig out the floor that, you know, to get these mm. shots and stuff with the, the use of um, uh, depth of field and focusing. And there's just some great, great tricks in there. The peacock stuff transitions yes. the bit there's with, actually a backdrop of King Kong in it as well yeah yeah, and the mirror where the mirror shot is the one mirror of my favourite shot is so so good I think that it gets a bit tiring as well speaking of perception when people always bang on about this older movie Casablanca I think as well suffers from this is that because you associate it with your old fucking dad your mm. dad sitting there on you know a bank holiday or whatever and it's on same with some of the older Bond movies and you've kind of absorbed a lot of what the movie is anyway just by snippets or press cuttings or people just fucking banging on about it so just yeah it's old but it's surprisingly modern which is why people love it like it seems as an artifact it was just so far ahead you know wow Shit, well, this leads is... kind of onto a question that two of my good friends have kind of been talking about recently. I don't know if you know old Martin Scorsese. Yeah. I was on a chat with him over, over Christmas. Yeah. And I'm Brett Easton Ellis, who I yeah. believe you, you know as well. I mean, it might have been via the form of interviews and podcasts. All oh, right, okay, well, okay. Face to face. But they're, they're, uh, Brett Easton Ellis kind of says this a lot on his podcast when he's interviewing actors and stuff, that he feels that like cinema is gone. And that's kind of a thing I got from an interview with Martin Scorsese recently as well. And I suppose they're talking about... The, that type of cinema that you just listed there or your Lawrence's of Arabia's or your John Cassavetes films. Mm. I mean, do you think that's true? Well, it depends what your definition of cinema is. Martin Scorsese, for example, has a very definite... I read in his view, may not have been the same one, but the theme is the same. That He thinks it's all passed him by now. And I think when those guys are speaking, like, Brayson speaks a lot about the American Empire and about the kind of, you know, the, how the American century has ended and America doesn't have a fucking clue what's going on anymore and it's like this this fading empire. Uh, so, so I think there's there's a, a lot of nostalgia 
at play. There yeah, are still I mean, great movies, but there are... There are definitely great movies. I think it's the way that you consume them maybe has changed. I think that, that he's talking about the idea of, like, if you were to go to the cinema now and seeing those, you know, small, intimate stories mm. that I guess we are heading more towards kind of like the... the theme park if we're not already there to be honest mm. the, the, like the big tent pitch, well there's no 60 million movies you know or you know or maybe there's like a third there's 10 10 to 30 and then 100 to 250 you know and um lucas actually talked to us uh, sorry spielberg talks about that years and years ago because they see the curve you know they were they supplanted a lot of the old uh, guard when they were in new hollywood days they got rid of all the people making the dr doolittles and all mm-hmm. these fucking ridiculous over the top money losing interpretations of dr Zhivago or whatever so they know it you know well, yeah, you guys. had the french new wave influencing the, mm. the american cinema of, of of the late 60s into the 70s but do, do, do you do you see another birth of, of that coming up because it feels like the, the the way that we consume media has changed and there's so many more I mean, obviously, video games that we talk about a lot have, have, can can bring something to the table there as well. And, and then you've got ever-expanding TVs and Netflix. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, it, it's one of those things for me where storytelling may have changed. But, I don't know, it, it, well, cinema, what is a cinema? Well, I think that's, that's where it thing. comes down to more. Cinema is the versus filmmaking, right? Or storytelling. Yeah, because storytelling still is just as vibrant as ever been, as far as I'm concerned. You now can tell it on more mediums in more ways and kind of... Look how and it's more democratic. Vine was amazing. How many amazing, like, stories told in a Vine? Six seconds. But also just the way that, that technology has become a lot more affordable. So you can you can go... You can, if you wanted to, and people have, go out shoot a, a, a piece of film on your iPhone and tell a story and upload it to YouTube or whatever. Yeah. And go straight to an audience, which obviously you couldn't do when you had to rely on massive film cameras that you couldn't move and get in the stock and developing distributors. It. But then it's theaters. I guess yeah, it, whether cinema has changed in the actual kind of going to watch those type of films. Uh, maybe in the dark still for there, two hours and but I think that when you think about cinema, in, when I hear cinema, my brain runs from the birth of it to about 1979, and then the rest of it. Um, is more Hollywood for me if you, mm-hmm. if you get what I mean like is more you know uh, but I don't know I think that's a question you could ju- that could just run and run forever and ever and there's no time so now we're on to the next question where is it come on brain which one am I going to go for alright uh, Del Boy Trek you know I don't even believe that these are the real names I think <laughs> Wait, I, oh Fistico and Del, yeah, I Del Boy you know what if, I, if these aren't your real name I'm really sorry about it. I just mm. it's been very busy right here's a question that's very close to my heart does Steve rate Broken Arrow? Motherfucker, yes. So, you remember when John Travolta had that kind of, that low patch, where he was in some movies that you've never heard of, like Perfect, I think it's called, and, and a lot of stuff in oh, like... Pitch Perfect. Shut the fuck up. In the 80s and that. And you're like, oh, you know, he was in he was in some films, and some of them were, were quite big films. But John Travolta's star seemed to be fading, especially in the uh, in the kind of early nineties. And then he did Pulp Fiction, and suddenly John Travolta was back. He was every like he did Face Off, he did Broken Arrow, he did Michael, he did Phenomenon, he did all these movies. And suddenly, you know, he and then he went and did Battlefield Earth and fucking ruined it all again. It's like he was out on parole. It's like one last chance. He's doing so well. Oh no! Oh no! He's making a Scientology movie. But um, but he had movies that were that were big hits, and people realised they wanted to see John Travolta again. And I think the Broken Arrow is when he realised that he could just like people love John Travolta because he's weird. 
mm. because he has a quirky look. You know, he's, he was handsome, um, uh, and he's got you know he's got a really over the top, almost jittery kind of acting style. And why shouldn't he just chew the scenery? I mean, as Vic Deakins in uh, in Broken Arrow, like his plan is to to troll the government. Like he sends them videos of him saying he's going to blow up the West Coast, and then makes a joke about it. And the whole thing about him. I mean, he kills himself by a nuclear weapon at the end, not by exploding, but by getting hit by it after it's propelled towards him by... I mean, <laughs> that's how he decides he's going to die, by getting hit by the tip of a nuclear weapon. I mean, great. You know, he's obsessed with them. Uh, it's it's stupid. Um, Christian Slater is in it, so you know it's stupid. Uh, but I love it because he has loads of good names, uh, mm-hmm. loads of good lines. The name for Ain't It Cool News came out of that movie. Um, yeah ain't it cool and it just it John Travolta sells the whole experience because he's just almost like latching onto the fact he's just a weird dude just a weird dude and like it, he's got a great and amazingly expressive face now all the features seem slightly too large for what houses them but it, somehow it's all working I don't know I love the movie mainly because you can put it on in any state of mind and just have a good time with it. Yeah. Right, I mean, it's, it's stupid. It's all balls. Like, it's unbelievably <clears throat> stupid. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, it's great. And Delroy Lindo turns up for, like, for no reason at all. Wearing a Rolex and then gets fucking killed. Spoiler alert. So, yeah, that's a good movie. Now, listen, shush. Right. Last question. Um, and this is one that we will uh, we'll talk about maybe in depth. Uh, at MH Reynolds, what movie TV... Or game boiled your piss the most? What? Ever? Just ever? Just, or... I think, right. That's it. That's what, it. What TV movie or game boiled your piss the most mm-hmm. ever? Well, I mean, the one that comes. We've already talked about it. But I think Attack of the Clones is the most offensively bad production in the history of cinema. I think it takes the piss out of the audience. I think it, it, it insults the intelligence of anyone unfortunate enough to watch it um, by by pretending to be a product um, that that even deserves to be watched. I think it, I think it is actually offensively awful. I mean, it is the only thing I watched in the cinema and wanted to leave, but my friend rather like you was such a huge Star Wars fan that I thought if I squeeze past him to leave he may never speak to me again yeah. and just that moment when you got to the lobby and like crestfallen he was like it was awful wasn't it I was like yes pal you it know, was let's go get a beer it I really know, was you know, I never awful. even saw Attack of the Clones in the cinema because by that point I was like this is getting fucking stupid now and I like, saw it in the cinema and I, it was I came out of it and I always said to the person I was with, that's one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Yeah. You know when you're itching ever. for it to be over and you're like, oh God, it's 35 minutes in, there's loads it's long. left. The Attack of the Clones is the, as the middle of the thing, what really all the dramatic weight should be kind of getting mm. getting towards actually involving the audience. It, it's that just fucking like, That fucking battle, the, the Geonosis battle, the people, people who even, fans of that film who acknowledge that it's... This is the thing about those films... Everyone acknowledges that they're shite, but there's always some smart arse who's like, oh, well, but what about the lightsaber battles? They're fucking shite. Oh, but what about Yoda with a lightsaber? That's fucking shite. Like, what about fucking Anakin versus Obi-Wan Kenobi? That's fucking terrible and long and boring and it has no stakes and 
get fucked. Like, there's nothing, mm. there is no redeemable element of any of those fucking films. They're all terrible. Phantom Menace happens to be the best one because it has acting in it, and the other two don't. <laughs> Phantom Menace um, is nowhere near the, the best. Act- the, there there is no acting in The third one's the best one. The third one. But I mean, just... I mean, only because that's like three out of ten, and the others are like two and one <laughs> out of ten. Yeah. But like, the, the opening of the third one's good. I, I, I quite Attack like Attack of the that. Clones literally has no acting. It has actors reading lines. It has no acting. Yeah, and how did they? Like, how do they get? It's just it's a spectacular feat of direction to take someone as talented as Natalie Portman and make her look fucking terrible. Yeah. I mean, you you can have bad films with good actors in them where mm-hmm. their performance may just. But even Michael Caine, for example, in Jaws: The Revenge, <sighs> right, which is just. Abysmal and unfinished. It was on the other night. <laughs> yeah. Even then, you're like, it's Michael Caine. And Michael Caine <laughs> Mike, is... Just, I'm not saying he's great in it, but no. I'm just saying you're like, that's oh, Michael Caine. Yeah. Told you Michael Caine. Michael, Michael Caine when someone was like, uh, like, so why did you do it? You know, that... that that's stupid, I've seen stupid the, films like, I've, I've, I've never seen it but I've seen the house is bought and it's lovely yeah it's <laughs> fucking uh, Michael Caine brilliant but he turns up and be like it's Michael Caine but Natalie Portman is just lumbered with this you know at least Michael Caine had an environment and other people who were trying to act despite what was happening Natalie Portman was digitally composited out of most of her performance <laughs> by a man who just completely lost his mind at this point. Yeah. Allegedly. No, he had lost his mind. I think, I think he'd just forgotten what a film is. Like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't understand the, 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 the cognitive breakdown that happened that led to Attack of the Clone. A film that cost a lot of fucking money. Hmm. Like, I don't again, understand how, the, how it happened. That's no barometer for success or But before, though, you would have a department or a studio, for hmm. example. So even... Even with people who have a lot of power, so like a Martin Scorsese, the studio is probably happy for him to do what he wants. But in well, this... you have to fight to get the funding for Silence, and this is a man who's won how many Academy Awards and is one of well, the most respected. Yeah. Same as Three Six Five. Oh, sorry, yeah, of course, yes, that's, yes. nominated for uh, <laughs> nominated. Sorry, yeah. That uh, was it. John Stewart at the Oscars that year. That was Did brilliant. Three Six Five Mafia win best. Three Six Five Mafia won Martin Scorsese nil. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, even then uh, in this book, uh, Powerhouse, about a uh, creative artist agency, uh, one of the guys in that had his family firm, which is billion dollar thing, had taken over a film studio. And uh, this guy was responsible for overseeing this film division. And even then for Casino, Martin Scorsese showed it to this guy and he was like, it's 40 minutes too long. And the, someone just, and so this guy took a meeting with CAA or someone at CAA they said how's running the studio or being part of it and it's like yeah I've got this new Martin Scorsese picture it's 40 minutes too long and the guy went you don't tell Martin Scorsese this is going to cut the movie mm-hmm. like, that's not the best way to start <laughs> your relationship with the Hollywood it's like people will see the movie just just let him do it you know but cut some of it at least you've got some oversight you know you've got someone to answer to even if it's just a James Cameron for example answers pretty much to no one but he still has to at least physically do the answering, even if he doesn't mean it or won't do it. Mm. You know, Titanic, very famously, just been like, I'm not making these cuts. Movie's $100 million over budget. Don't Doesn't matter. Not cutting it. Get the fuck out of my office. Because if you sack me now, then it's all over. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but did. if we keep me, then we've still got a chance. Great. <laughs> fuck you. You've got to admire the... Uh, the and then it that. came out and made uh, billions and billions of billion dollars. Yeah. So it was fine. Now listen, right, we're going to wrap that up. Now, because we are moving on to 
something very cool indeed, which yes, is the first installment of Not the Director's Commentary, where we're going to sit down and watch the original Alien uh, film and have mm-hmm. a big old chat about it. So look out for that one. I know we said we'd do it before, but then, you know, we had to do our jobs. Mm. We actually let our jobs get in the way of us having fun. Doing the stuff we want to do. Can yeah. you believe Let's that? Let's not let that happen in 2017. How is it going to no. work for people? Just to explain what people are going to need to they do. Should, to well, they should already own the 1979 version of Alien, because if they don't, they really need to sort their life yeah, out. Yeah, this is theatrical. The, yes, the theatrical, the theatrical at least, cut, not the director's yeah. cut. We're using just the, the Blu-ray from the anthology that came out. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I mean, you can get the actual whole anthology on DVD for about five quid now. Yeah. You can order it on eBay for probably about 90p yeah. or you can Postage download it from Amazon and stuff like that mm. even though which I accidentally hit the buy button the other day even though I own it probably 15 times <laughs> in various <laughs> formats I was like, again, oh, shit, oh it didn't even ask me to confirm it just did it I someone like, oh, at Fox is like it doesn't actually I went to uh, to watch Room 237 the documentary about the Shining again um, so we've gone down a bit of a Shining hole uh, which we might actually do something on in the future but yeah, and it doesn't have a confirm. It just says buy, and usually yeah. you have a confirmation yeah. of like payment or destructive action, saying, uh, "Did your kid press this by accident?" Yeah. Just went. God, can you imagine if they got older your PlayStation? We're going through the Amazon. You better check your bill trinket yeah. if they're on your PS4. But yeah, sorry, God, we've yeah. gone a bit Minecraft off, skins off Fucking topic there. So, Forty grand's worth of Minecraft skins. <laughs> so, Jim, uh-huh. you're the technical man. Uh-huh. You tell them how it's going to be done. Right. Well, I mean, not not buying stuff on Amazon. I'm sure that we, people can work right. that. In terms of, so what it is, I'm sure that the concept isn't new. We're just going to sit mm. down and start talking a load of old shit about the movie, about mm. the time, about the director, about the stars, mm. uh, about Alien. In, uh, but in I our think own way. Uh, we need to decide on the, on the sync. Well, it should be the 20th Century Fox logo at the beginning. The yeah. All this will be explained. Jim, we're no, not making explain. the decisions now. No, you're no, making no, no, it sound like we're just bloody half arsed yeah, No, I know, I know. But I'm just, just, just make, to make sure people know what, what it is and how they can enjoy it. Um, we'll be putting it on the podcast feed, though, as well as YouTube. Right? Yes, yeah, so you yeah. can listen to it as a podcast yeah. if you want, although yeah. it's, it's designed for you to press play basically at the, the same time as us. And mm-hmm. we'll sync it up with the 20th Century Fox logo and then yeah. we'll chat over it. There you go. So that is going to be coming. We're about to record that right this very instant. So we better fuck off. But, you know, listen, get us followed and subscribed. Jim Burns Dave and all your favourite little things like Twitter and Facebook and YouTube and Instagram and all that mm. shit. Because you'll be able to see all the cool stuff that's coming. And let me tell you, kids, this week something very cool is coming. I can't say what it is, but you're going to fucking love it. All right? And it's not anything we've talked about on here. All right? Fact. Bye. Done. Bye. I love you.